Welcome to Connecting with ART. I am your host, Alex R. Tomblin. The intent of this podcast is to connect with others on a deeper level, listen to their perspective, learn and take away something from the conversation, and to share that newly acquired knowledge with the world. This first episode is with Jonathan Bernard. He is an entrepreneur and owner of the Ohio Valley Running Company and an ultra marathon runner. This is a special episode that I hold dearly to my heart because it was the very first podcast I've ever recorded back in 2017, and I thought this would be the perfect one to kick off with. When I first met Jonathan, I instantly can tell he was such a cool and genuine person. I can't be more grateful of Jonathan for being open to doing it with me, even though we had only just met at the time. Bear with me, you will hear some static and beeping in the background, but I have since then grown and learned from the experience of podcasting, and I will continue to grow and improve for future episodes. And perhaps I will have the honor to have him back on for another episode to come. Please welcome Jonathan Bernard. Just say we're live. <laughs> so Jonathan, thanks episode for coming Episode one. On. Yeah, first one. Here in a Ohio Valley Running Company, inside the actual store, studio, studio slash store. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the kind of questions I wanted to talk about were um, what it's like to train to run a hundred miles, the hundred mile runs. Um, you run a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, I mean, I think there's probably different approaches to it um you know i know a lot of the elite runners that i know that are really trying to hammer out 100 miles at a certain time and win races they're training a whole lot differently than someone who's you know back with the front pack or mid pack or backpack runners who are out for the the joy and the accomplishment of running 100 miles in the woods um for me it really came down to just being on my feet a lot. I mean, you joke about it, you just have to run a lot, but that's kind of what it is. Um, when I was kind of in the in the really in the mix with ultra running, so I started ultra running in two thousand five, six, two thousand six, and was pretty serious with my racing schedule up until about two thousand twelve. I took a break and then I ran my last hundred mile in two thousand fourteen. <coughs> And during that time, you know, you just sort of like your training runs become like a Saturday 25 miler and a Sunday 20 miler or a Saturday 30 miler and a Sunday 25 miler. You're just kind of building up that base and really spending a lot of time in your feet and, um, you know, running. For me, I was running anywhere from 80 to 100 plus miles per week. I'd have a couple of big weeks in there before a race where I'd try to top out at 110, 120 miles in a week. Wow. Um, but then, you know, I, some of my friends who were um, sort of at that more elite level, they're also plugging in faster workouts in there as well. So like Michael, our, our store manager, who runs 100 milers and does it sort of at an elite level, he's always plugging in faster workouts in there as well because you need that leg speed, that leg turnover, if you're really trying to keep up with some of the the big dogs in the in the sport, 
whereas for me it was really just about like can i run this in x amount of hours the achievement you know, so of actually finishing it yeah yeah i mean finishing is always the biggest goal like getting <laughs> a goal finish yeah unless something goes horribly wrong which happens you know i started i think i started nine I think I've started nine and finished seven. Um, and then those raids, like, I'm not disappointed about it's You're always a little disappointed when you DNF, but, you know, things happen in the middle of a long race when you're out there for 24 hours. Yeah, un undoubtedly. Things what a, happen. What did happen for those two that you did not, did not finish? One I never should have started. Really? I threw my back out on Tuesday before the race. Oh, no. And I'd already paid for the race, obviously, months before. Yeah. It was kind of hard to get into them. And you trained for it. And, and I trained for it. <clears throat> I wasn't, really, like, supremely trained for it. I had a, a time I was living in L.A., and I was working a job that had a lot of hours, and I didn't have this, the, the base that I normally had for it. Um, and then I threw my back out at the gym, like, the Tuesday before doing something stupid I shouldn't have been doing oh, the no. Tuesday before a race. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then uh, by Thursday, it started loosening up, and I felt okay. And a buddy of mine who was also running that race was like, well, you already paid. You might as well start. And I'm like, yeah, I already paid. I might as well start. Oh, man. And so Saturday, I got to the start line. The first 28 miles were – first 23 miles were fine. And then the first big climb, my back tweaked on me, and I pulled the plug at mile 28. And the other race, my stomach just went south, and I couldn't hold anything down. Um and uh, I think I made it to 73. And the last, like, seven miles of that, I was just walking. It was just, like, I just wasn't having fun. Wow, yeah. just. Not I mean, you go through periods of not having fun when you're running 100 miles. Oh, I mean, that's, for sure. That's yeah, part of the deal. But when, like, you just, like, I'm, I'm not in it to walk 35 miles. You know, I would have had to just essentially walk out the race. Yeah. I don't want to do that, so... Um, now I found ways to kind of mitigate that that particular issue, which happens to me sometimes at races, um, which doesn't sound pleasant, but it gets me through the race. Gotcha. Which is basically sticking my fingers down my throat. Yeah, for <laughs> real. Man, how long does it take you to finish those 100 miles? The first 100 miler I did, it's all elevation dependent. So, um, like you can run 100 miles on a track, it's going to be different than 100 miles on a flat loop course it's gonna be 100 different than 100 miles in the mountains so the ones i've run i've only actually run 200 milers but i've run those 200 miles a number of times oh my gosh. um so cascade crest it's outside of Wa outside of seattle and washington um has about 21,000 feet of climbing and 21,000 feet of descent wow so you're basically in the cascades I-90 splits the Cascades, and you do 50 miles on one side, then go into the highway and do 50 miles on the other side. And it starts and ends in the same little town called Easton, Washington. And the first time I ran that, I got in four days before the race. But I've been running a lot, and then had the opportunity to run it, and I decided to do it. And I ran a 26-hour, I think, 26.30, something like that. The best time in that course I've run is 22 hours and 30 minutes. Wow. So then I've run also 23 hours on that course and 25 hours on that course. Um, and then San Diego, I've run 21 hours. But I don't know. I've never run like a really like a flatter one. Yeah. Um, I think the flatter races kind of 
scare me a little bit more because it's all runnable. So you don't like have, when you have more mountainous terrain, you sort of have built in hike breaks. Like I'm not, I'm not a strong enough runner to, to just run a hundred miles without hiking some of it. Okay. Um, gotcha. And there's very few people who can actually do that. You know, there's yeah. like the, the elite level people who are running, you know, 15, 16 hour, hundred milers. Like, wow. That's crazy. Like Michael. <laughs> um, then there's people who can run on a track and run a hundred miles in 12 hours, you know, and then there's people who, um, will do a hundred miles in like a lot of these races have like 32 mile cutoffs. And so there's people who are pushing that 32 hour mark, which to me is a lot more impressive because they're on their feet they're going longer. significantly longer yeah, and pushing through, um, you know, another 10 hours. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I love how like people can just dig deep and show like how like how almost like powerful the human body can like endure or like can become with training i've always <coughs> even from a, like a personal standpoint um when i think back about my 100 mile days like you go through the lowest of like i've been through some lows in life but like in that compressed amount of time like in a one day period you find yourself like there's no way I can take another step. And then five miles later, you're running at an 830 clip. You have no idea like what happened. Like it's, I mean, it's, you know what happened if like intellectually, mm-hmm. like nutrition, like something just like came, like the stuff you've been eating and the stuff you've been drinking finally came together and your body felt good again. Yeah. A cascade in particular, like I always, I could go through this really low part at like mile 35. I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. Because I've already run 50K and I still have 65, 65 miles more miles to go. And that's just all mental. Yeah. Right? And then um, the second half of the course is harder. And I always get to like the, there's this huge long fire road climb that's about a seven mile climb up to the top of this ridge. And it's just horrible. And I always, always just crash there. Oh man. And then when you get to mile 95, the last, the last mile 90, the last aid, the second to last aid station, you kind of go down about six miles to the, the very last aid station. And my body just comes together and I always run that really well. And you would think, why, how, why is 90 to 95 the best part of my race? Like that should be yeah. <laughs> much earlier. But it's just like, that's the incredible part about ultra running that I love so much is like your body just, like you can find, um, whatever it is, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, to dig deep and, and you see people like who've never, like they've never run before and then three years later they're out doing their first 100 miler, you know, just find it in themselves. Yeah, that's, and that's just show like true grit. You can just dig deep and just find it. Yeah, you said that perfectly. Um, and running is really a, uh, like a mental game too, just as it is physical. Um, so without that goal in mind, it's hard to, hard to keep running. Um, what, what makes you, uh, or what inspires you to run? Like, why do you run these hundred mile races? Um, so I don't come at running traditionally. Like when I look at, like, since we're sitting at over, I see my two other employees that are here, are both kind of more traditional runners. They grew up in the track and cross country world in high school and they, Allison ran at OU and Michael ran at, um, at Shawnee 
And like to me, the idea of running 10K on a track sounds absolutely horrible, but Mike was really good at it. And now he sort of transitioned that to ultra running. When I was, I always ran, my parents were both runners. When I was growing up, um, they would be up in the morning and run five miles together every, every morning. But I was never, I was, I was more of a team sports guy um, in high school. <coughs> and then in my 20s, my life went sideways and I made a series of choices that kind of left me, like I just decided that partying and alcohol and drugs were much more important than staying fit. Um, and I really went down into the depths of that for about eight years. Um, went to rehab came out, decided I was going to run a marathon, ran the marathon, then decided I'd start drinking again because if I could run a marathon, I could probably, like for some reason that was in my, that was the goal in my head. Like if I could do that, then I could probably control everything else. Then went back to rehab. <laughs> um, and so like my life just kept kind of spiraling downwards. Um, so I ended up going, like I kind of don't do anything half-assed. Like I'm sort of like all or nothing. Yeah. And uh, that was the same way with, with alcohol and with drugs. And you know, I went back to rehab two more times and I finally got sober, 2002. Um, I was smoking a pack a day and um, like that was sort of like all I wanted to do was not drink. And so that's what I did for two years. I just like did what I needed to do, not drink. And then I was living in Athens at the time and then I moved out to Seattle and I, like, then I wanted to quit smoking and I quit smoking. And then I met a bunch of people out there um, who were running a lot. And they were all sober folks who sort of had this sober, very small sober running club. And so I started running with them. And I put in my head I was going to run a half marathon. That was in 2004. In 2005, I ran four marathons, I think. 2006, I ran 12 marathons and a 50K. And then... 2007, I ran 50 miler, 50K, 100K, 100 miler. And it's always been sort of like, I think part of it's that the nature of who I am. Like I'm yeah. not, like I just like extreme stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to jump off a mountain or anything. Like I don't like, like that kind of extreme sports, but I like pushing myself to see how far like I can go. Yeah. Um, I did that with booze. I did that with blow. I did that with with ecstasy like and then i found that wasn't really <laughs> working for me long term mm -hmm. so then i sort of thankfully um and with a lot of help um made turn the corner and got sober and then latched onto running and running was one of those things that became such an integral part of my sobriety and my recovery that um i never let it go and so now it's like now it's just a fabric of who I am. So I went, and it turned now into my life. Obviously, like this is what I, uh, this is what I do for a living. I mean, I own a business, not really a living. It's more just like owning a business. Um, but like that fuels. I think that like deep inside, like the idea that like, when I'm on the trails, running long distance, that's where I find my spirituality, and that's where I find my serenity. Um, which is hugely integral in to trying to keep me at peace with the sober person that I am today.
Wow. That was beautifully said. I had no idea. And running really is almost like an, uh, an addictive thing, really. Like, I, w- I could say, like, I crave running and I want to um, do it more. It's just so much of a better and uh, deeper, just a more healthy habit to do than other things, too. Right. I think that, you know, um, I know a lot of ultra runners who are in recovery or who used running to get themselves out of whatever was sort of going on in their life. And we always talk about, like, oh, is it a replacement addiction? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't ever answer that question. For me, it was just become who I am now. Um, when I was drinking, if you had said, you know, like drinking was a big part of who I was then, and now it's not who I am. But running is a big part of who I am. And I think you're right. I think, you know, running can be very addictive in both healthy and non-healthy ways. And unfortunately, like any sport, probably you see sort of the bad side of that as well, like the people who are running themselves into injury or running themselves into the ground or using running as a a form of um, escape, maybe uh, a form of escape or like, um, you know, wrapped around their food issues or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think it's, you know, it's not just in ultra running, it's in any of high intensity sport but um for the most part you know you see a bunch of people who just love to be outside and love to uh, that's why i really love the ultra running scene i mean i did i was in the marathoning world for i ran 45 ish marathons probably um and then i sort of gradually transitioned into this the ultra running world when i wouldn't say it was niche when i got in because it was it was starting to get more cachet at that point certainly not the way it is now where um you know it's like the 50k is the new marathon or the 50 miles kind of the new marathon but especially in the pacific northwest there was this really small tight-knit community that like everyone just wanted everyone else to have fun and do well you know it wasn't like the the guys who were winning the races were still hanging out after the race to clap in the people who were coming in it's a very supportive community yeah for sure yeah and I think being on the trails, like I still go out and will do longer runs on the roads because I still sort of sometimes I kind of crave like a long road run. Yeah. But like I don't get the same sort of, sort of like I can let myself go and just be at peace. Like today when I went, I was on the trails for, I don't know, hour and a half this morning and like there's nobody else out there. It was raining. It's like, really densely forested and just like you just kind of let yourself go and like even if i have music on i have no idea what i'm listening to because i'm just in that space just you know? in the zone just yeah. so focused in wow that's great um so the turnaround point from your uh rehab into you said in 2002 and then mm-hmm. into when you started running 50 uh 50 miles or 50 k's was 2006 so the turnaround point how was the how was the process of becoming like shifting who you are into this person you are today um so i think when i moved out of seattle in 2004 i wanted to become a healthier person i mean i was probably working out 
a lot, but I was still smoking and like the cardio, like that difference between being strong and being fit. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, you can be both, but I wasn't <laughs> like, it's hard to be fit when you're still smoking a pack a day. And, uh, like I wanted so badly to quit that. And when I finally did, um, and I met these, this group of people who were running, I sort of fell into that, you know, and I had the heritage. My parents were runners and I played sports and it wasn't like I was a bad athlete. It wasn't like I was coming at it completely out yeah. of the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I played collegiate hockey and collegiate soccer. Um, and I played rugby here at OU and I was finishing up my degree and getting grad school. <coughs> um, and I think when you've had that in your past, and you sort of like traveled to this dark place, like the one thing that you know, like that was when I was out there doing my ripping and ripping and roaring, doing my deal. Like I remember sometimes like going past the, like when I was living in Athens, and I'd see the marathon going on. I'd just be like, like internally crushed, like spiritually crushed. Like there are these people who are like doing something and I haven't slept in two days. Like, so I knew that if I could make that turn, then w- I'd latch onto that. And so when I finally started, I trained for that half marathon in 2004. Um, and yeah, I f- had that, finally had that accomplishment, that feeling of I did something more than just like going out for a run. And so I really latched onto that race scene. Um, and like, like, the, like you talk about craving, like, not that I craved being at marathons, but I really liked that. I liked who I had become, and I liked hanging out with the people who were racing a lot. You've enjoyed it, so you kind of built upon it. And so I w- did all these, like, I traveled around and did, like, I did Chicago Marathon. I did San Diego Marathon a bunch of times. I did Seattle Marathon a bunch of times. And I did a bunch of small marathons on the West Coast. Um, and then that's a couple of the same group of people that I started running with. It sort of transitioned and we're dabbling in trails. Um, and by this time I'd had, um, I'd started moving into the running industry. Even I was working at a, at a running shop and um, started talking. I remember like my first conversation with somebody about an ultra marathon. Like this is ridiculous. Why would anyone be that stupid? That's like the dumbest fucking idea I've ever heard in my life. Like, why would you do that? Like, Cause I like, 26 miles is no big deal, but like anything beyond that was incomprehensible to me. Yeah. Even though I was fit enough to go further because I was running essentially two marathons a month at the time. Um, and then um, some friends had signed up for White River 50 miler. I, I guess I ran a 50K, sort of like a, a gravel road 50K that didn't have a lot of elevation. Um, and then I realized, okay, so that's just five miles more. So then some people were signing up for the 50 miler. So I just decided to pull the trigger and try it. And I'd never been on a trail before. I'd never worn trail shoes before. Never run over that 30 miles except for that one time. And, uh, and it was a hor- horrifically fun experience, you know. Um, and I felt every, every mile after 30 was like, there's a long sweeping downhill from the top of this ridge, um, six miles down, and then you kind of bounce along for another seven miles. And I, I couldn't even, I couldn't go downhill anymore. My quads were all locked up, so I had to like 
crawl up and then walk backwards down all the hills. Wow, <laughs> no way. And I couldn't wait to do it again. That's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for me that uh that perspective of running, I'm not nearly as much of a runner. Um I've only Yet. done a half marathon, so the thought of like a marathon is like the next step up. It's just like that's crazy. Like <laughs> like uh the training that it feels like for me is just going to take forever to do, but then there's people who are doing 100 mi- miles and like their perspective or the ne- their next reach goal is like 200 and they just keep progressing after that. It's just something great. Um, so how did you turn uh, from starting to run into creating your own business? Well, um, let's see. I'm trying to figure out the timeline here. Um, so I think it came... So when I went moved out to Seattle, I was swinging a hammer and working construction. Um, but I'd spent about seven years in Africa growing up in East Africa. Oh, really? And um, in 2007, I had the opportunity to go back to Africa, and I um, went to South Africa. And I've done this numerous times in my life where I just got to drop everything and go back to Africa. Africa's kind of like a drug. You have to keep going back once you have experience there. Yeah, it's just... Um, and so I had this opportunity to go to South Africa in 2007 with the, I mean, I think I told my parents that the goal was to get a job in my f- actual field of study, which is African environmental development through geography, um, what I actually wrote my thesis on. And uh, when I got over there, it was actually just about being able to go to Africa and then like getting my feet back on to that continent. And when I got over there, like South Africans, there's a lot of like nutty r- South African runners over there. Yeah. Like they train for comrades and two oceans marathon. There's, there's a pretty huge ultra scene over there. And, um, so I started doing quite a bit of running with some folks over there. And then I ended up in Botswana for a month through a series of events. And, um, I was house sitting for this family in Botswana. So I had nothing to do except house sit and run. And so I started like really up my mileage. And then I, like in that time, I started like thinking about what I really wanted to do. And when I came back to the US and came back to Seattle, um, just through like a a coincidence, I happened upon a job at Roadrunner Sports, which is a large um, national chain um, of, of stores. At the time, there was only maybe eight of them. And then the time I was there, I was there for two and a half years or so. We grew to over 20 stores or 25 stores, something like that. And I helped open about, I was, I had a, I was managing a store in South Seattle. Um, and that's when I really discovered I loved being wrapped around running in all facets. Like, cause this is worry. Like if you, like you can get, like if you were a runner and you're around running all the time and talking to people about running, you get sick of running really quickly. You don't want to run anymore because then you're kind of immersed in it. But I kind of went the other direction. I actually like, like, I love talking to people about running. And um, I also, I'm a total gearhead and a shoe geek. Um, so I ended up opening a bunch of their stores for them because they would fly me out to a new store opening, say, Falls Church, Virginia, or 
um, you know, a couple of stores in Oregon, a couple of stores in California. And uh, so there's this idea of like being on the ground floor, like you walk into a space that's completely blank and a week and a half later you have your grand opening. Like you bring everything in, you put all the fixtures up, you build the store from what the, the construction people have left you and then you actually make a store out of that. And I really liked that. I really liked the energy. It kind of speaks to my like, the volume's never at half, it's always at full because mm -hmm. you go in there and you're essentially working 16 hour days trying to get the store ready to, to become like a, you know, go to grand opening. Mm -hmm. But 110% um, in of what you do. Yeah. Um, so that like Roadrunner Sports is the one that really taught me a lot of what I know about um, like about shoes and about gait. And th they at the, at the time, I don't know if they still do this, but at the time you had to be in like essentially be in a classroom with a um, somebody who taught you about gait and shoes and everything, for, and you were there for essentially two two straight weeks. So, I mean, we don't claim to be you know doctors or PTs or anything, but we. But you still know a thing or two about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, you, and you end up fitting thousands of people. Mm -hmm. um, so that was how I got my start into the industry, and then I worked at another. Um, I worked at another shop. Then I, you know, this uh, when I really got into ultra running, I ended up leaving Roadrunner Sports to do something else. Kind of fell through, and then I got a job at Seattle Running Company, which was at the time one of the top ultra running, if not the top ultra running store. And just, you know, Scott Jurek used to work there and Ian Torrance used to work there and Hal Kerner used to work there and Chrissy Mayo used to work there. Like all these people who are like the giants of, I was talking about running with giants, like those are the people from that era who are winning every, like Scott Jurek is, like if you know anything about, like that's him in that poster up there. Um, oh, wow. He, uh, he had the AT record, you know, a 24-hour record. He won Western States seven years in a row. Um, and at the time, Seattle was kind of the hub of ultra running. And I was just like this new kid on the block. But I got to work, not alongside those guys, but at that same place. With And the guy who owned it was like a long-standing ultra runner trail guy. And that's really where I got my, like, you start thinking about, like, oh, what would it be to open your own place? Like, kind of get out of that corporate side of things which was great because I learned so much, but then like, what is it going to take to, if I ever wanted to do like your kind of mom and pop type shop? So um, that's where it was sort of, the idea was born. Now it took a lot of life turns and twists before I ended up back in Athens, Ohio um, in my hometown to actually pull, a, pull the plug, pull the trigger. But wow. Yeah, the, a lot of hard work. What, um, that's so crazy that it's all started kind of like stemming from the time that you went to Africa to take time off because you just had nothing but self-development time on your hands. So that's it's very expensive yeah. self-development. Oh yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Did you have to get vaccinated? I'm just curious. Yes. Yeah. Was for malaria? Uh, no, malaria is a pill you take, um, South Africa is different than East Africa. Like when you go to Kenya, you have to get smallpox and diphtheria and hepatitis. I think yellow fever probably still. It's been 
2012 was the last time I went. I can't remember what I got vaccinated for. Gotcha. Yeah, but beautiful country or uh, continent, though. I've heard many good things. Yeah. Um, so what do you think the hardest part about... Can you hear yourself? I think so, yeah. Oh, we're still there. Just testing, maybe. What do you think the uh, hardest part about um, opening a business was? Like, what was the hardest part about opening Ohio Valley Running Company? Two different questions. Um, so I've been opening businesses for other people for probably the last, well, if you include Roadrunner in there, I mean, and then kind of what I did as a consultant was help people expand their business and work, you know, work towards new business development. And then the last company I worked for, I was head of expansion, head of operations. So we were kind of like going into new markets and, and trying to build that business from the ground up in new markets. Um, the hardest part about opening your business for yourself is it's expensive. <laughs> it's a lot easier spending other people's money. Yeah. When but you're it's your opening own business, huge investment. Yeah. So, um, we, so the backstory, I was working for this company out of San Francisco and I got hired when I was in Seattle and then, um, they moved me to San Diego, San Diego to San Francisco. We're in San Francisco at our home office for a while, and then they decided to expand to the East Coast, so they sent me to the East Coast, and we lived in like 14 different places in 12 months or something. Kind of like, and Ariana was just following me around with, with our dog from place to place to place. <coughs> and I really, like, that's what I love doing. Like, I'm kind of like this, I've been a serial entrepreneur with other people's businesses. businesses. Um, like, I'm a... Again, it kind of goes to this, like, I can work 90, 100 hours a week. I can be on a plane twice a week. I can, you know, I had multiple teams going in multiple seven different cities or something. Um, wow, that's impressive. Well, I don't know how impressive it is. <laughs> 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 the company is no longer. <laughs> um, I guess the amount of time and work that you put into it, though. But Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was it was phenomenally exciting work. And yeah. Um, and Flywheel actually, as a company, is still is still going. Um, they they were able to package it and um, sell it to a, a different company. So ultimately, it, it ended up um, kind of regrouping and, and doing well. I think at the time we were like I was there at a really exciting time because that's when we were trying to expand the most. And you learn so much in that. Like you learn, um, no matter how much experience you have, you're still learning like as you go and. You know, you have all these people that are kind of like depending on you and then you're depending on other people. And um, and I really thrive on that. And I miss it sometimes. I mean, I, I, I can't sit here and say that I don't often like browse through the startup job files looking for that kind of position because it's like um, I, I get really energized and fueled by. Again, the support of community. Possibly. Well, it, it's part of it's like buying into a brand like you really like if you really believe what you're doing um which i i really believe what we were doing with that company then you just work your ass off to try to make it work mm -hmm. and you know it was like they realized that i was the kind of person who would just like we need okay you need something in chicago all right i'll be there tomorrow and just like off you go gotcha and you hire six people in chicago and you try to like build chicago and then in the meantime you still have New York and Philly and so you're just kind of like just making it all happen um, so 
when that when I got laid off, uh, the company was going through a dynamic shift, um, and in startup world, like this, this happens all the time, where you sort of like you sort of burn through, and then you kind of like make shifts and try to like keep it all together until more investment comes up. And uh, the there was an idea they were going to sell the company, and so I was living we were living in New York at the time, and my CFO called and said just go somewhere and we'll keep we'll keep going but we think this is what's going to happen and then ultimately i think i wasn't privy to exactly the details but that, that deal fell through and so then um you know the company had to make a shift and i got laid off and um we were here and because when we were in new york they're like oh you can stay in new york i'm like i'm not getting paid new york money you know yeah um so I called my mom. I was like, I need a bedroom, <laughs> basically. Because <laughs> well, all our stuff was in Silicon Valley. It was just what we could fit in the back of our SUV plus our dog. Um, so we came back here. And we'd spent a month in Athens um, previously. When I, got sh when I got sent from the West Coast to the East Coast, Ariana drove across the country with Tucker, our dog. Um, and we were like, we weren't getting a really good read on where we needed to be on the East Coast. Like New York was gonna be the big focus, but I didn't know anything about New York. I've been there like w once or twice before, but I didn't know like Long Island City from Brooklyn, from Park Slope, from Manhattan, from Bronx. Like, I'd, like all that, I knew the names, but I didn't like ge geographically, I didn't know like what that meant. Yeah. And where I needed like, so we're like, okay, let's just rent a house in Athens for a month. And Ariana had never been here before so she pulled into Athens I was in Manhattan wow. I flew in and uh, she spent a month here in a on the Near East Side rented a house for a month and she kind of fell in love with it she said because she's from Olympia Washington so not a big city but not as small as Athens and she was ready for something different and she liked the feel of Athens it's hard not to it was August it was like you know hot but she likes the heat um, and she liked the small town and we've been traveling a lot little did we know that for the next four months we we're gonna be traveling even more um, so then long story short when it like we started talking about like what would happen if flywheel did end up transitioning and in that when in that month I met Michael like sort of randomly here's the ultra running world we just happened to be at the farmers market one day and Ariana had um, my buddy owns a shop called San Francisco Running Company which which is now the mecca of ultra running in the United States like as everybody knows F SFRC it's he's got a like a really cool vibe it's like it's in Marin County so like you walk out the door and like within two miles you're on trails that take you up to Mount Tam and that whole like headlands and it's like you know the richest zip codes in America he's and like everyone just knows that SFRC is kind of where it's at with ultra running. There's a lot of really, really fast people training out of that, that area. Um, so I was at, Ariana had his hat on um, from SFRC and Michael looked across from the farmer's market and kind of came walking up to us like, how do you know about SFRC? And I was like, uh, my friend owns it. 
He goes, oh, that's cool. Like, I've run a couple ultras. I'm like, no. In my head, I'm like, there's no one in Southeast Ohio who's run ultra marathons. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, yeah, I ran, like, Mohican and this. I'm like, oh, whatever. So I went home and, like, <laughs> went home and Googled, like, oh, shit. He won. <laughs> oh, no way. Like, he's won all these races. So we started having a conversation about, like, what was going on in the running community in Athens and how there was no running shop. Because it always made me mad there was no running shop in Athens. Yeah. Like, I came back seven years ago. My mom was um, my mom was having a hip replace, so I came back for six weeks to help her out. And um, at the time, I was doing consulting work out there, so I'd left the running industry, but I would drive around Athens or run around Athens. Like, okay, this, at the time, there were three bike stores. Now there's four bike stores, but there's no running store. And so I was talking to people here about it. So I put a business plan together. Um, that was 2000, must have been 2012 or 11, 10, 11, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and it looked viable, it looked like a viable business. And at the time, I wasn't ready to move back from the West Coast. And I didn't have any money to actually front it. Um, although some people from the uh, like Small Business um, Association were going to try to help me, like, weave through and get some loans but I just wasn't ready and it just didn't seem like the right time so I was like literally trying to hand the business plan to anybody else like people who lived here like wow. you guys all say you want a business like a, a running store here's mm -hmm. a business plan oh no like people like wow. not me like that's too much risk yeah I mean, it is it's a huge undertaking yeah um you got to commit to that yeah you have to commit not only like your time and your resources financially but, and you know your creativity and like you know your energy it's not just when they were open like it's sort of like it's all encompassing in your life which is what i've been doing with other jobs for for a long time so um so anyway fast forward to meeting michael and he started talking about like he he was mad there was no running store here too and but he had started developing this running community so there's a really cohesive running community already um, through this group called Team Run Athens that he and Dr. Robert Weiner and his wife, Allie, and um, Tim Sykes, who at the time was the cross-country and track distance coach, um, who's now moved on. Um, and so there was, like, every Tuesday, there was 30 people showing up to just go for a run together. And so this, this community had already developed. Um, and you know, in sort of informal polls that you, when you're talking to people, it seemed like people would be interested in the idea of a running store. So when I got laid off, <coughs> kind of had three ideas. One was, which we often sometimes on bad days at OVRC, when we're like, oh, what do we do? We should, we always think, oh, we should have done option one, which was to buy a small RV and drive around the country and just go running. That was like, we were going to do that for two years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we had, we had this little bit of savings um and then option two was just to like live in athens and find another job basically mm -hmm. and then option three was sort of like this outside option i was like well we could do this running store thing and so i kind of found my r business plan and dusted it off and updated the numbers and had more conversations with michael and um got a little bit of family investment from um Ariana's grandmother had unfortunately passed away, and then she got a little bit of a 
you know, inheritance from her mom um, from that. And then we decided to go all in. And we didn't do it. We didn't take any loans out. We did it. So self-funded the whole thing. Wow. Um, that construction experience that I had kind of came in handy because this was this old big white box when we walked in. Yeah, this is fantastic. So yeah. we put a lot of um, a lot of hard work. And, you know, Michael was here sanding drywall, and another buddy from Seattle came out and helped us build it out. And, um, so it came together. So that that idea was probably born in 2007 and eight when I really decided I liked the running industry, then refueled when I came out here and wrote that business plan. And then through that series of events, with ultimately losing my job and having a little bit of savings. So we, you know, we did what any smart person does. You take your entire retirement and put it into a s very small niche retail business in the poorest county in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we've done. Wow, and it turned out fantastic. Yeah, it looks pretty. Yeah. And you were just telling me um, the other week that you got all this wood from an old barn. So the so I knew when I wanted, like, the vision in my head was this whole idea of kind of bringing the outdoors in. So I wanted to use local product. Um, and a really good friend of mine, Kent Butler, who's on the city council here, who I've known for years and years, um, he and when he and his wife built their house, they used a lumber guy out in Meigs County um, named Paul Neinhart. And he said, oh, you should just go out there and just look at his lumber yard. I'm like, okay, how do you get a hold of him? He goes, oh, you just go out there. Like, he doesn't have a cell phone, doesn't do email. It's just this, like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> kind of back to the lander. Yeah. So, and it's then this other guy, Chris Fox, if you've ever been to Village Bakery, he did all the wood for outside the Village Bakery on East State Street. Okay. So I know I wanted to go see him. So, um, we went out to see Paul. We just drove out there, like middle of like, middle of nowhere. Like, yeah, <laughs> middle of Rutland, <laughs> like way out past <laughs> Rutland, and you just show up. And he's got this great lumber yard, and he had all these, these, uh, these slabs. Wow. And so I ended up, you know, spending some money. We took a truck out there and bought a whole bunch of slabs, and um, and I told him I wanted barn wood. And he said, "Well, my neighbor's thinking about." tearing down their barn I was like okay just let me know because if you buy it online you can buy barnwood online but it's really expensive mm -hmm. the arm the Amish have kind of like cornered that business and sort of they're selling it now to these companies who are cleaning it up and then you know selling refurbishing it like or whatever yeah, yeah gotcha so it gets really expensive so he found the, uh, the neighbor tore down the barn and he charged me labor that was it wow um, so I got all this barnwood really cheap. And then I put it up and I took a picture and put it on Facebook and a good friend of mine from grad school said, hey, that's my barn. So it turns out like I know the barn owner. I didn't know it was hers. Oh, but really? Yeah, yeah, so so I actually know the person whose barn it was and wow. she was really psyched because it it's got reused. The history is being yeah. reused, yeah. Yeah. And then we were out there and this guy, Paul, who has that lumber yard is like, are you Ted Bernard's son? I'm like, yeah, yes. He was one of my favorite teachers. And the next day we went to see Chris Fox, who had this other lumber yard, where I got that piece of elm that's my cash wrap. He's like, Are you Ted Bernard's son? I'm like, Yeah, he's ah, he was one of my favorite people. Oh wow. <laughs> like all these wood people, some, some yeah, so you're like in like the wood community now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was an environmental prof 
geography professor for years. So like all these kind of back to lander. Okay, gotcha. Like you know, post hippie era hippies or yeah, <laughs> really it's kind of like full circle, really. Yeah, <laughs> there's people who like went to school and then stayed in Athens and sort of like found their little niche in Athens to to make it work and stayed. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's kind of like you know, that's that's kind of what I did. Yeah, I never. I kind of always thought. I might move back to Athens, like in the back of my head, probably, but I never admitted it to myself. Mm-hmm. But every time we came back to Athens, I was like, "Ah, right, this is home." Yeah, I could, I could live here. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you come over that last hill, past the plains, and you come down, and you come up. It's like ah, that's when I always felt like I was at home, especially when I was like tr- commuting back and forth in Manhattan, when my when Ariana was living here. There's something really special about about southeastern Ohio and the hills around here, and mm-hmm. you know, I've lived in some of the most incredible cities in the in the country like i've lived in san diego and la and Gorgeous. new york and yeah. um connecticut when i didn't want to live in new york <laughs> and um and you chose seattle and yeah, and yeah decided to come back here and are there things i miss about those places sure but you know there's also things you can't get there like a house <laughs> <You laughs> yeah can get here right and so land and yeah easy access to trails and um, easy access to pretty much anything. Yeah. Like, we get mad now when you're, like, stuck in traffic for three minutes. Like, when it used to take us 45 minutes to go four miles, you know. So, everything shifts. Of course. Yeah, my uh, my friends say Athens is like a fairyland. <laughs> it is. It's it like really is. Don't though. tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll edit that part out. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, your family's all going to move down here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why didn't you tell us? Exactly. Um, so, uh, actually, I kind of want to sw- switch back to um, the 100-miler. I'm curious. So like I'm curious why you're asking so many questions about a hundred miler. What's going on in your head? Oh, I'm d- that's just like the thing I'm most fascinated about. <laughs> like, you, you starting to think about a hundred miler? I mean, I would like to, uh, but it just seems like such a far reach goal at right now. It's like seems almost unachievable. But I mean, I know with hard work and perseverance and the mental mindset, I can do it. But like, yeah, if you, I haven't even done a marathon yet, so I don't want to jump the gun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would just start. Well, ask your question. We can yeah. <laughs> we can talk. So what do you eat like while you run? Because you run for 22 hours. Yeah. So you have to stop and eat and refuel. Um, so there's all kinds of different theories. I'm pretty lucky that I can eat almost anything and still run. Um, the really, excuse me, the really fast folks. The, f- the faster folks in the industry right now are sometimes doing it just on liquid um, products like Tailwind, which are, you know, a powdered product you add to your water, which gives you calories. Um, electrolytes, sugars, calories, all wrapped up into a powder you put in a bottle. Um, and gels. So in my 100 milers, it's pretty guaranteed I'm going to be eating anywhere from 20 to 25 gels um, over the course of that 22 to 26 hours. Wow. Um, And then as you progress through the miles, the aid stations sort of get a little bit more robust with the food. So like in the early stages of a a 100 miler, 
um, you'll get sort of the, the, the standard aid station fare, um, which isn't standard aid, like if you're coming at it from like the half marathon and marathon, like, you're like why do they have all this stuff at an aid station? Um, because at a half marathon you're just eating gels, basically, mm -hmm. maybe an orange or whatever. A marathon, kind of the same thing. In a, in a trail ultra marathon, you have chips. You have like all the salty snacks, mm -hmm. chips, pretzels, usually boiled potatoes with a pile of salt next to it that you dip in the salt and eat. Um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or some sort of avocado and turkey wrap or cheese sticks. Then there's sugar. So cookies and M&Ms and whatever. And like, People always say, so how do you know what you want? Like, I never know what I want until I step up to it. Um, and then my body's like, that looks really good. <laughs> and then I eat that. <laughs> like, That's weird. I've never eaten that ever before in a run. But but I, I crave it now, though. <laughs> right? right. And I always sort of like, like, cantaloupe always tastes good to me in a race. Yeah. And then I can't eat it for like months afterwards. Interesting. Um, um, I eat lots of potato chips and boiled potatoes and... Then as you've gonna progress longer into the race, especially like an overnight race, um, there's always gonna be soup, uh, warm, like some sort of hot soup, mm -hmm. which is a lot of times just like chicken broth because it's warm and it's salty and has protein, um, which are what you need to keep, keep going. Keep going. Um, and then you can get like pierogies and pizza. And when I raced, I ran, they had mashed potatoes, which are the Best freaking thing I've ever had. It sounds like, like they have all. Oh man! <laughs> like they were handing me a cup of mashed potatoes. I'm like, that's weird. And then I asked, like, I was like, can I have like four more of those? <laughs> <laughs> I like, ran out with these cups Just of mashed eat potatoes. Them. Um, you know, I think like what you think about like what you eat in a normal 24-hour period, like not doing anything, um, and then tack on 12,000 calories of expenditure onto that. So you're never going to be in the black. Like you just can't eat enough. But if you can eat like 200 to 300 calories in an hour. <clears throat> so then like you get to an aid station. Like I'm usually pretty good just grazing at the aid station. But I also have crew there who will have other stuff I think I might want. So they'll like, I'll flip out my bottles. Cause I always, I, I run with bottles, so I will have two bottles. And in those bottles, I'll have gels in my pockets. And so they'll know that I give those bottles away and get two new bottles. One bottle will have electrolyte replacement and one bottle will have water and I'll have gels in the pockets. And by the time I see them again, whether it's like, depending on the mileage, like if it's eight miles or if it's 16 miles or 20 miles before I can see my crew again, I try to have enough stuff so that, like, the stuff that works for me, especially from a gel perspective. Gels are tricky um, because gels can affect different people differently, and it's always the GI that can go. Like, when your GI goes south, that can really make your race miserable really quickly, whether it's your, like, stomach upset or worse. Um, you don't want to have to spend your, like, every mile in the woods you know <laughs> yeah just going um, <laughs> right so um I th like for me there's like and i can't do caffeinated gels so 
like I've been at races where I've run out of gel and I get to an aid station, the only gel there is caffeinated. I can't do it because it just affects my heart differently. Um, so then you're kind of like running until you see your crew the next time. So I always try to make sure like half it's just being prepared and knowing what works for you. Like Michael runs a significant amount of his races just using Tailwind, which is that powder stuff. Okay. Um, but he's also done faster than, you know, I'm sure there might be people who are running 28 hour, hundred milers that are just doing tailwind. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I'd never actually used it much. Um, and I did a long last Tuesday. I decided to run our Thunder Bunny course solo. Okay. I used that. And it was, and it's, it's pretty incredible stuff because you just don't feel, you never feel like those really deep pangs of hunger because you're kind of like sipping calories as you go. Gotcha. Like when you're thirsty, you're just naturally drinking and it's replacing your calories and your electrolytes at the same time. So, so and now there's this big thing, like for, for years and years and years, everything is just like so sweet. Mm-hmm. Like all the gels are like sweet and then tailwind's really sweet and you get to an aid station. It's like a bunch of sweet crap. And now they're like trying to fiddle with that a little bit and like, Gotcha. Kind of perfect. Make it a little more savory. Yeah. I think that's like when you get later in the race, um, like your body's just craving something besides sugar, which is why they have like pizza and everything else. Yeah. Everything imaginable, basically. Basically. So Tailwind's just a powder that you put in like a drink. Right. And you just sip that while you're going. Yep. Okay. Cool. So what about your. uh, your sleep. Do you sleep at all while you run those? Mm-hmm. No. Um, people do, especially when you get into longer races. Yeah. Like a 200 miler, which is like, you know, there's always that level of crazy, which takes your level of crazy one step further. Yeah. Then there's like stage races, of course, which are, you know, like Tour de Giants in Italy where it's like nine days and just their sleep's inevitable. But like, in a hundred mile race, I've never fallen asleep in a race. One time, maybe when I was actually running, but I woke up right away. Like I'm pretty sure I may have fallen asleep on my feet. Like you're running and running and sleeping. That's basically. Crazy. And wow. Then I'm like oh wait, I'm oh I'm running. <laughs> wow, that's um, interesting. But you'll sometimes like I remember the first hundred I did, I was sort of like going back and forth with a buddy of mine, and he was ahead of me, and I he sort of stop an aid station or whatever and or mm-hmm. have a bad patch and I get ahead of him. He was ahead of me on that big long climb I was talking about. And I must have been like a mile behind him at the time and I came up and I saw Joe. I saw his pacer first, which is somebody who can like basically help you finish the race that's running part of the end part of the race with you. And he was just standing there and I looked down <laughs> and Joe's asleep. He has a water bottle under his head. He's <laughs> just lying in the gravel taking a nap wow <laughs> and he <laughs> felt better and he got up and <laughs> wow you just needed a little nap yeah it's the middle of the race yeah wow which so happened i mean yeah of course you need like, to like the, the hardest thing to get over from going from a road racer to a ultra marathoner is that like pace is unless you're really pushing to the front and you know like your pace it becomes not irrelevant but becomes a lot less significant mm-hmm the goal is to like be able to complete this journey in a set amount of time and whether that time is 32 hours or 30 hours like some races or 
you know, 40 hours, like some of the harder races, like you have that block ended amount of time and to get from point A to point B or to point A to B, you know, sometimes they're loop courses, but, um, and whatever it takes to kind of get there, you know, so if you need an app, like, and like there's this whole, like a lot of people won't sit down. Even they'll come to an aid station. Like as soon as you sit down, you're dead in the water mm -hmm. because your muscles constrict or constrict, and then like it's really hard to get back up. Yeah, like, I fear fear the chair, but I, I like that's never really been a big deal to me. Okay, I can sit down and take a break. And like, you can take, get up easy and keep going. Yeah, the first half mile might suck. Yeah, but once your legs start moving again, you get into homeostasis basically. Yeah. So what are you uh what are you doing now? Are you training for Nah, just anything? running for fun. Just running for fun. Um I don't know, it's starting to so I always I always joke that I'm a retired ultra runner. Yeah. Because I've run a bunch. I mean I ran I've run a bunch of races. Um Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how many total. Seventy ish probably. And I haven't really had the desire to race. Two thousand fourteen I ran Cascade the last time. And that had been my longest run since until last Tuesday when I ran that solo uh, 50K. Um, so it took like a three-year break from really long-distance stuff. And, you know, building this out. And then, you know, at the same time we were building the store out, Ariana got diagnosed with breast cancer. And so then we opened the store, and she was going through all of her surgeries and treatments. And then oh my gosh. so last year was just kind of – I just found myself like not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And then last June I was like, okay, that's like, I need to start taking care of myself as well. And so I sort of made a push to get back in the gym and start running again. And, uh, um, this uh, kind of like this spring, I really felt better running longer distance. Um, I'm really enjoying like pushing my distance back up into like mileage I haven't seen in four or five years. And like, I haven't run 31 miles in a long time and I didn't back it up with another 27 mile or six days later, which is kind of like, like in my head, that's hundred mile training. Like Tuesday I ran 31 miles the following Monday I did 27 miles and I ran in between and had a 95 mile seven day stretch. But like still in my head, I don't feel like I, like I'm just not ready to pull the trigger on a race. Gotcha. Um, there's a, like, the, I'm looking at races. Like I find myself late at night, like scrolling through ultra sign up, like, yeah, just, just looking, just, yeah, looking. just, <laughs> <laughs> just perusing. <laughs> um, See I might do a 50 K. I don't know if I'm ready to, like, I'm, I don't know if I'm quite ready for like a 50 mile distance. Um, more mentally. I think it's like physically I could probably do it, mm -hmm. but like it's more um, mentally. You have to be prepared mentally yeah. and physically. For yeah, sure. yeah. Like you really have to like, like you have to know that you want to finish a hundred mile race. If yeah. You enter and start a hundred mile race. And right now I, I run some, mm -hmm. I haven't run a lot. I mean, I have friends who are running 400 miles a year for 100 miles a year, not a 400 miler. <laughs> that would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it has been done, probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, I would be surprised. So I just don't know yet if like that is something that I need to notch off my 
to-do list. I really love like spending time in the woods, pushing my body, pushing my like spending time in the gym, and then being able to back that up with running. Um, like I'm not ready to commit to just being a like an ultra runner racer. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love to talk to people about what they're doing, and all that being said, I'm I'm as excited or more excited about people running their first race whether that's a 5k or a 10k or a half marathon um or a 50k as i am like to me that's more like when people come into my store um and we talk to them and we put them like through gate and we talk to them about shoes and they decide to start training and they come back and they just run their first 5k that to me that that's that's more exciting to me than me finishing a race because like that person is doing something that like because I came at running from such a different way mm-hmm. um, and it changed my life so significantly when I see people utilizing the running to change their life that's what really makes me like I can talk to runners all day like we're always going to have the runners come in mm-hmm. and I love like I love talking about running but like the people who find running you know whether it's that's a new experience weight or to get healthy or just because they're kind of intrigued. Um, that's, that's the shit that's cool. And then like Michael has a trail running course at OU that he teaches. And five of those people ran their first trail race at Thunder Bunny two weeks ago. Four of them ran a 50 K and one of them now works here. Wow. <laughs> um, and those guys are so passionate about it now. Um, and that, that kind of, that's what we want to foster. I mean, oh, like this is like top line OBRC is a retail store, right? We're just, a, I mean, strip everything else away. We're just, it's a retail store. Mm-hmm. But the core values of what we're trying to do here, and Michael believes in this as much as I do as the, you know, he has ownership over this idea, even though I'm like Ariane and I are the owners per se, he's actually here all the time like we want to foster this community of runners in Athens Ohio like everything we do is to kind of build a hub around being outdoors and being fit and being whether it's walking or running or you know high intensity interval training like Sydney does or Mm -hmm. um, CrossFit whatever it is that gets somebody off the couch and like obviously we're runners, so and we're a running store, but like running meaning could be jogging or walking, but just being fit. Um, and we live in, in an incredibly beautiful area of the country, so we want to like we're trying to promote like being out there and being on the trails and and you know, um, and so kind of practicing what we preach as well by by doing that. So yeah, I mean. Obviously, the the goal of OBRC is to pay our bills, um, but the fi- financially the goal of OBRC is to survive and then you know pay our bills, and then from a deeper level is to you know offer the best customer service and the best advice and and really get people um, interested in in running or being outdoors. So. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for just 
taking the time to do this and sharing your sure. passion and just wonderful inspirational stories. Boring you for an hour? No, not at <laughs> all. Not at all. Love doing this. Yeah, so um, I think that's a good conclusion point. Cool. Congrats on your first podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for doing the first one. Yeah, man. All right. Peace out. Thank you for listening. Again, I cannot thank Jonathan enough for coming onto the podcast and for sharing his incredible story. I hope you enjoyed and check back in for new releases soon. Thank you.